Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. And they, but they announced this a couple of weeks ago that uh, Charlie Watts can't make it. He's uh, he's taken ill. Right. And obviously this is, you know. Charlie uh, can't make it. He said we we'll have to fake it. We knew he'd come eventually. <laughs> So who are they going to get? Yeah, I, I'm not sure who the replacement I mean, yeah, look, is. When, you're, when your band is 80, yeah. you always have to have a backup at every I would, position. I would think, yeah, you know, you, you got to have depth. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you can't put Javi Guerra out there. You've got to have a good backup at every position. Yeah. Klobotsis is not drumming. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty then. Uh, we're going to start with a whole bunch of personal small things. One, I got a note from Dale Talbert. He is the guy who wrote the huge history of North Carolina basketball called the Tar Heels. And Michael and I, Michael, not me, Michael knows exactly where this book is going. So I'm grateful for Michael's perception in this particular area. And Dale wrote this book and got Larry Brown to write the forward, which amazed me because I didn't think Larry would sit down and write anything. I mean, I really didn't. And Dale writes, thanks for the plug on the show. Here's the book with the forward written by Larry Brown. Maybe it would be fun to have a call with Larry talking about the difference between Coach McGuire and Coach Smith. He loved them both. Okay, that's Dean Smith and Frank McGuire. You have to be my age to know who Frank McGuire is. It's just, it's not a, that doesn't move the needle very much on a podcast talking about Frank McGuire. I can talk at great length about Frank McGuire, but I don't really think anybody under the age of 60 even knows who he is. And, you know, and it'd be great to have Larry talk, but it, it would drift off. You have to trust me. I know Larry a long time. It would drift off. And I, nobody, loves, nobody loves Larry more than I do. And he gave me Larry's number, as if, as we like to say. <laughs> okay, from Carl in Oswego, New York. I just got an email from the band Hot Pink Hangover, who, have, as you know, is a friend of the podcast. Yes, we know that because yes. they send us music. We love their music. They're planning a farewell concert in October, and then they are breaking up, Carl of Oswego writes. Could you please use your extraordinary influence to see if you could talk them out of disbanding? And I said to Nigel when he gave me this, well, we're not going to use this. We don't know if Carl knows this. We don't have any sense that this might be true. We don't want to go into the abyss like this as if we know what we're doing. And Nigel, you look stuff up and... Yes, uh, on their website, they have a farewell release party and they write, let's paint the, pa the town pink one last time, hotties, uh, which I guess is the name for, the, for their fans. Uh, it's a farewell release party for a farewell album and we want to go out with a bang for you. Join us at the Phoenix Theater, 7 p.m. on October 22nd. That's uh, Phoenix Theater in Minneapolis. So it sounds like it's true. Yes. And can I talk them out of it? No. <laughs> and not only that, I wouldn't even try. Yeah. They're grown men. Yeah. You know, men and women. They know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Scared we we do love them. That's sad news, but yeah. everyone goes there. We'll still way. play their music, whatever yeah, they yeah. send us. Sure. Todd Hart um, sends us this. Post-sex nachos are so excited about you putting them on the show. The response has been fantastic. I would like to say your timing was perfect. It was my birthday, and I was able to share the podcast with my entire family. Heard from people all over the country, including the folks at Kohler, who appreciate being called the best toilets in America. Well, it's not even close. Yeah. It's not even close. When you go to that, when you go to Whistling Straits, the rooms have the greatest... Oh, the American Club. Yeah. This, the, the greatest toilets and showers and everything in the, in the I'm whole I'm in the world. market for some new toilets. You should... Well, you know what? Call up Herb Kohler and just say, let's get this done, pal. <laughs> I also... I did that once. I, got, I also heard from my cousin... And Max Canefield, who was a big fan of the show and had Michael Kornheiser as his high school golf coach. Indeed. How about that? Talk about connective tissue. When <laughs> was strong that? lefty. When <laughs> was going back five years. Max Canefield. Okay. <laughs> I apologize to Wilbon about the Reynolds name change. I had no idea. I'm very happy to hear about the change. All the best, Todd. 
On another personal note, this is our 150th show of our contractual year. Our contractual year starts on September 1st and ends on August 31st. We normally do more shows than that in a pre-pandemic year. We would do 165, 175, maybe even 180. I don't know, something like that. And still take the summers off. Yeah. Because we did the shows every day or four days a week anyway. I will tell you that I'm very proud that we got to 150 this year. I'm very proud that we did. I mean, it, it was hard to do. We are not in a studio. We're at Uncle Benny's table. There's, it's difficult to bring people in. It's difficult to know how to format the show. Uh, Michael and Nigel have been great in, in working together and putting the show together. And I don't know how you guys feel. I, I'm actually very proud to get to 150. And it's not in the contract or anything, but I thought 150 was a nice number. You know, I think this starts with uh, we, we really have to thank Sean for actually making this work. From oh, the tech can't do it without Sean. And Absolutely. as we think about our endemic existence going forward, this is not necessarily the show that we want or that we plan for. It's not the Tony Kornheiser show that we've loved over the last close to 30 years now. Uh, but, I, but I really think that the interview-driven show that, that's, that is your strong suit is, is enjoyable for me to listen to. So I hope that carries over. And on a personal note, I said this a, a month back. I very much appreciate the tolerance that your fan base has had with allowing me to sit here with you, my dad. Again, that has meant so much to me over the last year and a half. It's very nice. Yeah, Nigel, no, not so much. I know <laughs> I'm a recent addition to Uncle Benny's table, but it's the the fact that we're able to do this right now is fantastic. And, yeah, and like you said, you know, at the beginning of all this, we didn't know what no. was going to happen. And no. you know, you're like, if we can do any shows, that'll be great. And to do 150, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm very proud of that, and very pleased. Um, that, that people are still enjoying the show that we're doing. So now let me get to the things I hated last night. <laughs> let me talk about the Nats and the Orioles for a second. So I, I was sitting down. I was doing reading or preparing for something, and then I get a text from Michael. Yeah, you don't read. I, well, no reading, reading text, maybe. Yeah, reading texts or okay. reading emails or something like that. You know. So, and I was in the living room, and I didn't have the game on. And I knew that Otani was pitching against the Orioles, but I felt I could check in on that any time because I didn't think it would be a tough game for Otani. And then Michael sends me a text that says, first pitch homer. I don't even know what this means. And then shortly thereafter, he sends me another text, home run, second home run. And I write him, wait, are you telling me that Otani has given up two home runs already? And I get no response from Michael. None. Zero response. So I go in the other room and I put on... I go to the Nats, and I go to the O's, and I start going back and forth, and then I leave the Nats because I want to watch Otani. And every time I check back into the Orioles game, and I'm not making this up, Otani is striking out. Not striking out someone else as a pitcher. He's striking out as a batter, and he's missing the ball badly, right? Did you see? I think he had yeah, three or and, four strikeouts. And now when I look back at the text, it is ambiguous when I say, you know, first pitch homer. I don't know, you don't what know necessarily if I'm talking about Otani at the plate or that, on the mat. Right. I have no idea because he's the first batter up because he's the leadoff guy. So he's striking out, and I watch him, and he struggles. He gives up. I watched the third home run that he gave up, two-run home run. Um, and he struggles. Now, they were up 6-2 because the Orioles are terrible. The Angels were up 6-2. That made it to 6-4. He got through five innings, and I, and I left that game. I left that game at that point because he was no longer pitching, and I wanted to see him. Um, Matt Kelleher and, and Shannon and the kids went up to see the game you know, because they wanted to see. I mean, Shannon is from Southern California, always been an Angels fan, and wanted to see the game and wanted to see Otani. Everybody's an Otani fan. You're crazy if you're not an Otani fan because what he's doing – has never been done in baseball. Even the dog, as you can hear from barking, is a big Shohei Otani fan. <laughs> so then I go to the Nats, and the Nats are down, I think, 2-0 or 2-1 or something like that. And then was it back-to-back? -back? I think so. 
Bell and Hernandez back to back? Is that who it was? Yes. Right? And so now they're up 3-2. Home runs. Jacked it out uh, of, in Miami. And by the way, if you think there's nobody in Baltimore, and last night there were people in Baltimore because they wanted to see sure, Otani, sure. there's nobody in Miami. Nobody's yeah. watching these games. Why would you watch two AAA teams play? And then I began to realize, I thought, oh, okay, the Nats are going to win this series. And as bad as the Nats are, they're not as bad as Miami is. Jesse, and not as bad as Miami is. Um, then I wake up this morning, and the Orioles have won, right. which snapping won like 10-6. Wasn't that snapping like an 18-game losing streak? It was 19 at okay. that point. Um, they had already in their lives gone 21 in 1988 because I covered that. They'd <laughs> yeah. gone 21 games, and the Philadelphia Phillies in 1961 or 63 went 23 games. One of those teams. I was hoping the Orioles would set set a record. It could have been a new streak for September. Bring Cal back. <laughs> yeah, well, Cal would Cal would play. Sure, Cal's in good shape. He could play. He better than anybody they got right now. <laughs> when they lost 21 in a row. They had Cal Ripken Jr. and Eddie Murray. These yeah. are Hall of Fame players, and they lost 21 in a row. They got nobody on this squad who looks like a Hall of Fame player. No. The only Hall of Fame player they got is in the booth, Jim Palmer, <laughs> right? So who did not do the game last night? Uh, somebody else was doing the game. So they won, which surprised me. And, and I, I can't say the Nats losing surprised me, but once again, you know, they, the bullpen doesn't, doesn't win. They just don't win. I'm, I'm not even angry. I... I don't even know why I watch. I mean, I <laughs> Bell's up to 21 home runs now. So after that slow start, you're Josh Bell the production in the April and most of May was dreadful. He was under 200. He was dreadful. He was either striking out <clears throat> with runners on or hitting into double plays with runners on. And then when Schwarber got hot, remember anybody remember yeah. Kyle Schwarber? June. Sure. When Schwarber got hot, Boston Red Sox. Bell got hot with him. And Bell has. Bell's been good, I, you know. Bell's been good, and Bell's going to be there. I right? didn't don't doesn't don't they have two more years? Yeah. Of Josh Bell. Bell's going to be there. So okay, all right. Not only will he be there, but his book club will be there as well. So he's been good. Um, but I root for them, and I express my pathetic fandom <laughs> to Chuck Todd and to Chris Saliza, who have the same pathetic fandom as well, and wonder, as I do, why are we watching this? Are we so drug I was, addicts? I was talking to my this? kids on the golf team about this the other day, where it's like, you, you've gone past the, you know, the lament about the players that you've lost and what could have been. Well, if Bell got off to a better start, we wouldn't have done, you know. Oh, it's a bad team. It is a bad team. It was a flawed team, and frankly, it's been a flawed approach for many years now in terms of we look at a bullpen saying if we're in contention, we could always fix it at the deadline, and it has worked and it has not worked, and it has worked mostly for first-round losses because you haven't had that solid back-of-the-game sort of sort of solid pen. And now I'm just looking at it saying you have the excitement. I'm, I'm loving to see how the catchers are playing. It's, you know, it's There's a, four it's different a position catchers. that we haven't really thought about a lot in the last couple of years. I mean, you had, the, you had Suzuki and Gomes most recently with the World Series team, and you felt dependable. But there, but there wasn't a huge anchor to the team back there that you really wanted to see play. The guy who they got from Toronto is Riley Adams. Yeah. He's about eight feet tall. He towers over people. And then Trace Pereira, who's a smaller guy. Bangs it out every once in a while. So that, yeah, there is a s fun with that. You want to see, can Keyboom develop? I still don't understand why he's not playing short, where I thought was his natural position, but I've been told by people who seem to know that he's a terrible fielder and has a bad arm. And you actually need a better arm in short. When you go into the hole in short and you backhand it, you need a better arm than third base. So I guess he stays at third base. I 
don't know why they got rid of Stevenson. I mean, I really liked Stevenson, but I watch, you know, I watch and I just, I do. I write texts that say, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I so, doing So part this? of watching for me, you don't do this on your phone, but do you have, Nigel, do you have the MLB app? So, uh, I don't. Okay, I'll, so you'll, you'll check in. You get to you get to sort of pick your favorite team. So for me, I always go to the MLB app. I have the Curly W, and every story it starts it populates news based on my team. So I'll get oh, right. you know I'll see the NL East division first. So I can check in what's going on around the division. Phillies, Mets keep losing all that. Yeah. Uh, but my account, and by my account, I mean Chan Hardwick's account. Uh, we are having a back and forth little war. I'm not sure he knows what he has started, but he keeps changing the home screen team <laughs> to the Red Sox. <laughs> so oh, I keep waking up to see what happened in you know in extras. Good and job, I'm Chan. seeing yeah, I'm seeing that you guys lost. <laughs> yeah, of so, course. Well, yeah, that's what we do these days. Um, in in th- there was the Padres and the Dodgers went like 16 last yeah. night, yeah. and the Padres lost. The Padres. They're hanging on for a wild card. It's them or Cincinnati because the second wild card will either be the Giants or the Dodgers. They're the, they have the best record in baseball, both those teams. Giants have the best record. Dodgers have the second best record. The wild card, first wild card comes from there. And then you see if the Padres can hang on, but their schedule is... Padres are one back. Yeah, back of the Reds. Their schedule is yeah. really tough. Of their last, however many games are left, 35 or something like that. They have like nine against the Dodgers and seven against the Giants and three against the Braves and three against... There's one other first-place team that they have three against, and it may even be the Yankees. And, and they're not going to win a majority of those games. The Yankees are so hot yeah. right now. It's unbelievable. Now, I'll just leave this segment by telling you all something, kids. This is what the Yankees do. The Yankees don't have to grow people in their own farm system. The Yankees don't look long-term. The Yankees, what is, what is the phrase? The Yankees don't buy green tomatoes. They don't, they don't sit and wait for the tomatoes to get red. The Yankees put their hand in their pocket and pull out $8 billion. And they say, that tomato looks good. Yeah, they're going for the heirloom. I know that's yeah. important to you, but how much money will it take that I can have that tomato? And that's the way they do it. And they did it. They, they got Joey Gallo, yep. and they got Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. And at the moment, they are surging. Yeah. And those people that wanted to fire Aaron Boone four weeks ago, they're shutting up at the moment. Yeah. They're shutting up. And this is what this is when the Yankees are at their best, they are quite a good team that gets quite much better as the season gets on because they buy stuff. Yeah. They go, I'll take one of those, I'll take two of those. You know, it's like Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> no? yeah. I was and thinking there will be blood. Yeah. I drink your milkshake. Yeah, so this is, yeah. So this, this is what happened. This would set up a great series with the Astros in October. Oh, that'd be fantastic. If the Astros have to go through the Yankees and the Dodgers, no baseball fan in the world could be happier <laughs> because there's true hatred. Yes. Even though there's only, and this may surprise you to know, I learned this yesterday to do the show, there's only five Astros left from the team that cheated. One wow. pitcher... Lance McCullers won because Verlander's out. There's only five Astros left from that team. I guess Correa and Bregman and Altuve who are important. And there's one other person, and I'm just blanking on the name. Everybody else is gone. We will take a break. When we come back, we will shift gears utterly. Later in the show, we'll have Tim Kirchin. And I want to ask him a lot about the Orioles. I really do. Um, But we will have Peter King when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. So this is this new sponsor, and this is Stamps.com. 
Michael, can you explain this better than I can? Because you were one of the people who said we should let them sponsor because that's a good product. Sure. Have you ever have you ever found out that you're missing postage and you try and go find it and you don't want to make another trip to the store or you're going to a store that doesn't have it? This brings it right to your door where you can where you can weigh your items and get the correct postage from your house. Print and you out. can attach the postage yeah. yourself. With Stamps Scott. Dot com, you can skip trips to the post office and save on postage. Mail and ship anytime, right from your computer. Send letters, ship packages, and pay less, a lot less, with discounted rates from USPS and UPS. Stamps.com saves businesses thousands of hours and tons of money every year. I understand that this is geared towards business, but it could be geared towards you. Absolutely. I mean, you could do this in your, if this is something you want to do, especially if you save money. Stamps.com brings the same U.S. postal and UPS shipping services right to your computer. They make it easy for small businesses to mail and ship without needing to take a trip to the post office. Print official U.S. postage and shipping labels 24-7 without having to leave your desk or buy any fancy equipment. All you need is your computer and a standard printer. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to stamps.com. Instead, there is no risk. And with the promo code Tony, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. The scale seems to me to be something that you really want to apply the correct postage. There's no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Tony. That's stamps.com, promo code Tony. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. I woke up this morning on the wrong side of the bed When I tried to stand up on my head This song is My Morning Coffee. It's by Lewis Higgins, keyboard player and sometimes vocalist for the Bedrocks. With the full blessing of the band, Lou wrote and recorded this fun little tune outlining the benefits of putting a little pick-me-up in your morning coffee <laughs> to get you through the day. This is sent to us by Ray Fica, or Fica, F-I-C-C-A, the lead singer of the Bedrocks from Arlington, Virginia. It's a lovely tune. Michael, we've had two tunes today that have just been bouncy and wonderful. If people want to send their original music like Lewis Higgins, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And remember, you can listen to all the songs in their entirety without us talking over them at the end of the podcast. Peter King joins us now. You know Peter from Sunday Night Football. You know Peter from his own podcast. You know Peter from everything having to do with the NFL, and it's always a treat for me. I'm staring right now, Peter. I'm looking across the way from where I'm doing this show at four people holding bats in their hands from left to right. Doc Emmerich, uh, and then Bob Lee, and then me. And oh, then yeah. You. And you're, ho you're holding it lefty. I didn't realize you were a lefty, so I stuck it because we were all honored together. And then I found out something yesterday that I didn't know for reasons unknown to me, because I've already forgotten because I'm so old. Ohio University came up, and I talked about the fact that it was in Athens, Ohio, and that they once had an NBA player named Walter Luckett. And Matt Kelleher, scanning famous grads at Ohio University, said, you went to Ohio. I didn't know that. I am indeed a Bobcat Tony, and uh, the first time I was ever away from home in my life was when my parents dropped me off from my little town in Connecticut, in Athens, Ohio, and they drove away, and I said, oh my God, what am I doing here in the middle of Appalachia? But uh, it turned out to be a wonderful, wonderful experience. I met my bride there, uh, and uh, it helped train me for a pretty good life. So how did you pick? So if you're in Connecticut, 
How did the un- oh, it's not even the University of Ohio. It's Ohio University. Ohio University. How, how did Ohio so, yes, University? It was, very, it was very it was very simple. My brother, who was eight years older than me, um, sat down with me when I was like a junior in high school, and he said, "Okay, you want to do journalism? Here's what we're going to do." Because my mother and father had only one prerequisite that they could be able they they could drive wherever I wanted to go in one day. And so we picked out all the places, journalism schools, you know, that basically were a one-day drive or less from uh, Connecticut. And uh, Ohio, it turned out to be Ohio versus Wisconsin. And I don't know why. I think I picked Ohio because it was a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. and, or a lot smaller, really. And, uh, and that was it. At the time, you know, you have that gigantic college catalog and you just literally sift through it, and we just underlined all the places that had majors in journalism. And then my brother helped helped me through it, and uh, and the rest is history. And wasn't your first job was in Ohio, right? You got newspaper jobs in Ohio. You yeah, stayed there. I I actually worked for the AP in Columbus, and then I got hired in March of 1980 uh, at the Cincinnati Inquirer to be like a general assignment guy cover Xavier basketball and was the backup guy on the Cincinnati Reds. And I did that in college sports there for like five years. So it was a good, it was a great training ground for me. So this is, I'm, I'm just going to bring something up on my own personal life. Yesterday, I called a kid, the president of Binghamton University, my friend Harvey Stenger, said he had this kid who had graduated recently who wanted to go on to a career in journalism of some sort, and he had asked if he could speak to me, and I told Harvey, sure, I'll, I'll call the kid. So I call him, and in the course of the conversation, he's telling me, I said, well, you know, go get a job. Like, go get a job, build a resume. This is how you have to do it. And he says to me, well, you know, I've emailed some of the places in town and and they've said they don't have anything. And I said, well, his name is Sam. I said, Sam, don't email. Sam, go there. Knock on the door. Make sure they understand how much you want this. Knock on the door. Make it hard for them to (laughs) shove you aside. Peter, you would do that. That's that's what we did. We knocked on the door. I, I, you know, look, I was very, very fortunate because uh, my, in my hometown, my home area, there was a newspaper there called the Journal Inquirer. It's in Manchester, Connecticut. And I basically worked there throughout high school, just calling in scores and writing things for them. And, and that's really how I got my start. And I was working for $35 a week for them. And so Honestly, uh, Tony, I think that's a great way to put it, and I, and I hate to advocate for the uh, work-for-free uh, crowd uh, because I think it's unfair, but if you want it bad enough, you'll figure out a way. And I've told kids, yes. uh, college yes. kids leaving school, you know, the unfortunate thing is you might have to work for free for a while. It's not fair. It's not right. I get it. But if you really want it, you're going to have to prove to somebody how much you really want it, and you're good. And so I've, I've told people as, as much as it's, of course, it's not fair that, that you need to show people how good you are. And then once they're convinced, they'll find a place for you. And that's not in every case, but in many cases, that's the case. When I was a kid, um, when I was in high school, 
I mean, I knew I wanted to be a newspaper sports writer. Yeah. That's all yeah. I wanted to be, and I knew it when I was eight years old. There was no question in my mind. We had a weekly newspaper called the Five Towns Leader, and I went in there, and I said, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. You know, I'll report on my high school. I'll give you scores. I'll sit down here. I'll take scores over right. the phone, whatever you do. I didn't know what they did at that point when I was in high school, and I ended up getting 10 bucks a week which was fantastic. $10 a week, you know, to help out at something that I really wanted to do. And I, like Peter, was very lucky as well. My first job was at Newsday. It's one of the 10 best papers in the United States of America. And I got a job writing high school sports. Uh, but I, you know, I pursued it. You know, I really yeah. wanted it. And I went after it to the degree that I could. And when somebody says, well, I've emailed them, <laughs> You know, like it's yeah. all you can do to stop from laughing. You emailed yeah. them. What is that? You know, the yeah. emails I get every single day from like right wing groups and left wing groups. I mean, stop emailing. Am I crazy on this, Peter? That's what you have to do. Tony, you, have to do. you and I have one thing in common that I didn't know until one minute ago, and that is that we both knew exactly what we wanted exactly. to do at a very young age. I was exactly. in fifth grade when I knew in Enfield, Connecticut, I said, I want to write for a newspaper when I grow up. That's all I wanted to do. Now, I kind of wanted to be the next Peter Gammons once I saw him in high school. Yeah. Um, and I was driven to be as smart in something that Peter, I didn't know what it would be, as Peter Gammons was in baseball. And <laughs> over the years, I almost, you know, in a weird way, I mean, I. I write a column on Monday this past week. It was 11,883 words. I mean, that's almost Gammons-esque. You know, it's a little bit longer than him, but in essence, isn't that what Gammons did in the Boston Globe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gammons anyway. did it, and Ryan did it in basketball, and it started with Willie McDonough on the yeah. Sunday Globe, which was the greatest sports section that was, was ever put together. Yeah. And I yeah. worked for great sports sections. And some people will say the Washington Post that Wilbon and I and Boswell were on. was. And it's not. It's not. It's the Boston Globe. Right, Peter? It's the Boston Globe. That was, that was you know, I'd spend an hour with the, every Sunday uh, in my high school years because I live 90 minutes from Boston. There was a little newspaper store in our little town in Connecticut that got the Globe. And we went and bought it every Sunday, and I spent one hour with or more with that sports section every Sunday uh, when I was in high school. And I just remember thinking, this is what I want to do. So Gammons, most famous for baseball, obviously. Peter King, most famous for football. When did you switch? Did you always want to be a – you started – everybody starts um, out wanting to be a baseball writer. Everybody does. You know does. what, I – I really did want to be a baseball writer, Tony, but one time um, I was with uh, the baseball writers who covered the Reds were really tight. Hal McCoy, oh, sure. Paul Meyer, Earl Lawson, Ray Buck. Uh, they, were, they were all really close, but I, I went to, when I, I was on a road trip uh, for Ray Buck, he took 10 days off every year uh, in the middle of the season, so... I was out there, and we were in Atlanta, and afterwards we went out to uh, have a late bite to eat somewhere in Atlanta, and I remember Earl Lawson and Paul Meyer uh, both talking in very pain terms about their divorces, 
and and mm, Ray Buck yeah. talking about it. he had talked to me before about about his divorce and and all that. And I just thought to myself, it's just it's really kind of a an unnatural way to make a living, isn't it? Where like every two weeks you're gone for a week on average for seven months a year. It just and it just never really felt right. And and whereas in football you know, you didn't have that. You didn't have that way. And I really got to love sort of the rhythm of football. And the other thing is, Tony, I was incredibly lucky that in 1984, I covered the Cincinnati Bengals. Sam White was was crazy in a good way. And he basically would tell me anything I wanted to know about everything with the team. And I sat there and watched practice that first training camp with Paul Brown probably 30 times. And it just, I said, my God. And I, I was an expert in this team after like three or four months. And so I said, this is fantastic. I, you know, I've mastered this job, and I'm exaggerating after like three or four months. And I just thought, this is really a fun thing to do. I loved football, and it's a fun thing to do. And I, that's how I kind of got into football. You know, the, the Bengals of 1984 got me into it. This is interesting. I've told this story before, and I will tell it again. I went to see the Bruce Springsteen play on Broadway a few years yeah. ago. Felt very fortunate to do it. Had a really good seat, fourth row, fifth row, something like that. And Springsteen comes out, and he starts talking about his life. And he says, I was seven years old. I had the TV on. I'm watching Ed Sullivan. I see Elvis Presley. And I know right then and there, that's what I want to do. Right then yeah. and there. I knew, and I sat there, and I got a cold chill in my spine, because I did too. I knew at, at seven or eight or nine, I would read Newsday at home on Long Island. My dad would come back from New York City, and he'd bring the news in the post, and I would devour it. And I wanted to be Stan Isaacs, and I wanted to be Larry Merchant. I mean, that I, yeah. Peter, we are the same in that. I absolutely yeah. knew not only what I wanted to do, but who I wanted to be. And yeah. I had the same experience. I got sent out on a road trip when I was 22 years old because the baseball guy didn't want the road trip because this was the road trip. It was Baltimore. It was Detroit. It's just awful places to go in the middle of the summer. Baltimore, Detroit, Texas, the worst place on earth in the middle of the summer, right? And then you finished in Anaheim, so the good baseball writer would say, I'll meet the team in Anaheim. And I went out there with the Yankees, and in a week, by sitting down in the dugout, Three hours before the game with the manager, I got a Ph.D. in baseball, the same thing that you yeah. did in football. And yeah. I knew it, and I know it now. And, I, you know, and so we're, we're the same person. I, you know, we're, you're younger, better looking, <laughs> got more hair, but we're the same person. And, I, and yeah. I, suspect, I suspect that there's so many clones of us out there that are exactly the same, don't you think? I think so. And it's one of the things when I talk to college kids and high school kids, I always say I'm so much more fortunate than the vast majority of you. And I don't mean to rub it in your faces, but I knew what I wanted to do when I was 11 years old. And obviously most of you are not really positive what you want to do with your lives. And uh, it, both of my daughters were the same way when they graduated from Tufts and Colgate. They didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives. And it, not, that, not that there's anything wrong with that. There isn't anything wrong with that. But 
it's so fortunate when you basically can spend, I spent four years in college dedicated to my craft and it was a real party school and I had my share of fun, but the majority of time, the most fun I had was when I broke a story in the school paper. It just, I just am a nerdy little, I just, I love the business. I still love it. I mean, I, I walked away from Tampa Bay training camp last Wednesday with a real kind of uh, spring in my step because I think I'll be the only guy in our business to get Brady one-on-one in this training camp a week after getting Aaron Rodgers one-on-one, a week after getting Patrick Mahomes one-on-one. And I just, those are the things that still thrill me, honestly, to get the story that other people want to get. And so that's what appeals to me, and it still does to this day. I'm 64 years old, but you tell me, here, here's $10,000, or here, here's 20 minutes with Tom Brady. Guess what I'm taking? You're taking Brady. Next time we talk, we'll actually talk about football, but this was more fun for me than asking you about quarterbacks. We'll do that the next time. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, thank you. Okay. All the best, Tony. Take care. Tremendous. We'll take a break. What's the rest of the show? Uh, Tim Tim Uh, Kirchner coming coming up up next. Tim Kirchner. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X chair ad. If you watch the PTI show ever and you see me up in the attic, I'm in the X chair. Yeah, you love it. That's I do. I love the chair. Yeah, I brought the headrest. The, and I would say I brought the chair up, but that would be a lie. Michael <laughs> brought the chair up. You brought the chair in off the porch. Yes, but you uh, brought it up the Let's not forget steps. the origin story. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. The unknown came in 2020 and changed the workplace forever. While some of us are getting back to the office, some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home, like me. The future of work has changed. So is the future of seating. X chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during the transition. And now X-Chair's newest innovation, LMAX Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling heat and massage in your low back. Feeling a bit warm this summer? Set the LMAX to cooling. Air conditioning in your home office? Cranked up too high? Set your LMAX to heating. Warm up and soothe tired muscles. Feeling stressed from too many Zoom calls like one? Turn on LMAX <laughs> Massage Therapy and relax. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar DVL support was already the best in class with incredible responsive low back support. Now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You won't believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. Go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter X, chairtony.com, or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR to receive $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairtony.com now. Use the code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters, like my friend Jody Forstadt. <laughs> xchairtony.com. Use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Now on the 4th of July They'll flush you down the toilet Come fall Welcome to Major Leverage Buyout League Baseball Welcome to Major 
Sniffed the World Series, but the Cub fans came and cheered. But now there's nine hats on every plaque that's hung in the Cooperstown Hall. Welcome to Major Leverage Buyout League Baseball. We're six games out of first. Let's get rid of Garrick. Let's get rid of Ruth for future considerations. To hell with the players. To hell with the fans. I like this mantle kid, but I'm running out of patience. Sit down and have a steak. Sit down and have a cocktail. Sit down and have some caviar with me. Watch my team from my luxury box. They're a fine club, wouldn't you agree? Wait a minute, though. Our third baseman made an error. I need to make a conference call. Welcome to Major Leverage Buyout League Baseball. Welcome to Major Leverage Buyout League Baseball. Dan Byrne is brilliant. <laughs> Isn't Timmy, is that not brilliant? Is that not brilliant by Dan Byrne? That was tremendous. That was better than avocado and desperado. That was beautiful. That is unbelievably great by Dan Byrne. Unbelievably great. I mean, no wonder he's Bootsy and Amher's favorite performer. It's unbelievably great. Tim Kirchin joins us now. That was just, I hadn't heard that. That was tremendous. I mean, he's obviously a big sports fan. Obviously understand what's going on. Tim Kirchin joins us now, and I wanted to... I wanted to talk about the Orioles, and I want to set this up so people understand. There was a period of time 30 years ago, 40 years ago, about 30, 35 years ago, when the people covering the Baltimore Orioles were Tim Kirchin and Kenny Rosenthal, both in Baltimore, and Richard Justice for the Washington Post, who had been previously in Baltimore. So you got great, great baseball writers covering the Orioles, and I think it's safe to say, Tim, that you had, all of you had, a fondness for the team, you know, going back to Memorial Stadium and then moving into Camden Yards, a fondness for the team. When you see what has happened to that team lately, the paucity of people in the stands, not last night because they had Otani, but generally the paucity of people in the stands, the lack of competition in terms of the team, the just junking of whatever, you know, ambition they had recently in order to mortgage their future on whatever draft picks they make. What is your reaction to that? Well, I'm sad, Tony. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I'm sad. That That is the most beautiful of the new ballparks, new meaning yeah. the last 30 years. And that's really saying something when you got San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Seattle. Cameron Yards is still the best of the new ballparks and to see it empty certain nights is really sad to me. Plus this is really unhealthy, Tony, that there's a major league team that's this bad. They didn't just lose 19 games in a row. The first 15, they looked, they lost by multiple runs and no team since 1900 had ever done that. And in the 19-game losing streak, they got outscored by 108 runs, meaning they're losing by more than five runs per game. Tony, the best part about baseball, and you know this, is 
Bad teams beat good teams all the time, even on the road, and nobody thinks twice about it, whereas it never happened that a bad team went into Chicago Stadium and beat the Bulls with Jordan. No bad team ever went into Golden State and beat Steph Curry and the Warriors on the road. That never happens. But in baseball, it happens all the time. And now some of these teams, especially the Orioles, are so bad that it's an upset when you win a baseball game. And that is a really unhealthy situation when you go, oh, my gosh, the Orioles surprised somebody by winning. That's not good. I'm not going to suggest that Baltimore is a city of rich people, you know, or that Baltimore has, you know, an an economic, um, you know, balloon that that makes people have all sorts of extra money. That's not true. Baltimore is a working city. It's different than Washington. It's different than Los Angeles. It's different than New York. But for 80 years, you know, well, not 80, but for 60 years anyway, Baltimore fans packed those stadiums and they were in among their attendance was never in the bottom half it was always in the upper half and those people loved that team and that the color the orange color you saw that everywhere in those stadiums every single place that attendance is way off you can buy a ticket for a buck and a half now and you can sit in the fourth row what are your feelings about that i think they've cheated their fans yeah they have. I mean, this rebuild they're on, we knew it was going to be painful. I, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be this painful, and it's going to last a lot longer. And you're right, Tony. It would be one thing if there was no history or heritage to this team. But but the Orioles from 1966 to 1983 were as good a franchise, without a doubt, as we've seen in a long time. That's how great they were. So Oriole fans, especially the older ones, understand this. And you're right. It's a blue-collar, provincial, neighborhood, brick town. That's what it is. And those people are used to better than this. The old Memorial Stadium, Tony, when I covered the 88 Orioles that lost their first 21 games, when they came back that Monday from Chicago, they sold out on a Monday night against the uh, against the A's to watch a team that was 1 in 23 that's how much people in in Baltimore love the game and the game the love of the game has been taken away from them by the way this club basically has been operated for the last you know 2 or 3 years Let, I'm going to get to the notion of regime change in a second but the first question I want to ask you and and for people out there that don't understand this because they haven't followed it, the, the Baltimore Orioles had the entire Baltimore-Washington market to themselves for many, many years and attracted a lot of people from D.C. and Maryland. You know, maybe 15, 20 percent of their crowd was probably from places where I live. And I thought nothing about driving up there. I mean, it was fine. It was easier to drive there than it was, honestly, to get to FedEx Field. Yeah. It was easier. Um, how much did the establishment of the Washington Nationals and the agreement that the Angelos family made in order to let baseball as a National League city come back to Washington. How much did that hurt the Baltimore Orioles? You know, initially, Tony, I don't think it hurt nearly as much as I thought it would. Maybe because I'm so old and I grew up here. I figured as soon as the Nationals came back that everyone that was an Oriole fan would then automatically become a Nationals fan if you live, say, where I live in the Gatesburg-Bethesda area. But that's not what happened. 
the Nationals did not grab all of those fans. A lot of people stayed with the Orioles, which always surprised me. Nothing against the Orioles. I just thought, hey, that Washington has a team here. Washington suburbs have to take on now the Nationals, and that was not the case. However, since the Nationals won the World Series and the last few years have played so exceptionally well, they have taken away a lot of Oriole fans, and those Oriole fans have become Nationals fans. And that's another thing that has hurt the Orioles, especially recently, is there's another big league game in town, and at least the last few years it has been demonstrably better than that of the Orioles. So let me get to this next and reasonable Question. The Orioles, they're going to lose over 100 games this year for the third straight year. It's, that's just awful. They're going to have the worst record in baseball this year. And you look at that team and you don't see a whole lot to make you optimistic about the future. This has happened under the watch of the Angelos family. Um, is a regime change necessary? Does baseball have to come in and say, you, you guys, you're not acting in the best interests of our entire league and we think you ought to sell? Well, personally, that's what I think needs to happen. I think Cal Ripken needs to buy the team, and I think a lot of things change after that. That's just me, though. I'm not suggesting that's going to happen or should happen. I'm just saying that, to me, makes the most sense Mm -hmm. here because Mm -hmm. things are being run poorly. Peter Angelos, who I've known forever and I like, by the way, very much, uh, he's not in control of that team anymore. That's right. And That's right. I think they need somebody else to run the club because it's it's Baltimore and it deserves better than a team that has been this bad. And Tony, keep, you know, people keep saying, well, the Astros lost a bunch of, you know, 100 games three years in a row. So did the Cubs. And look what happened to them. And I totally understand this is where the Orioles are trying to go. It's just going to take a whole lot longer. And they have built up their minor league system significantly, but that, that doesn't mean a whole lot when you're losing this many games on the major league level. So this is, yeah, this is the reasonable next question. And I know the example of the Cubs, and I know the example of the Astros, but I'm sure there are examples the other way of teams that got bad and thought they'd get better through the draft and through signings, and it didn't happen. If they are tanking, if this is their plan, how, how much should we believe in that plan? How much does tanking help? In the, the baseball draft seems to me to be even more in exact science than the football draft. What do you think about this? Well, it's a way more inexact science than the football yes. draft or the NBA draft. I watched LeBron James play in high school in one game on ESPN, and I could tell ten times up and down the court, he can play in the NBA right now. But right. you can't tell that in baseball. Now, Adley Rushman, who they drafted number one a couple years ago, is going to be a star. They're going to build around him. He's a switch-hitting catcher that can do an awful lot of things. However, you need more than that. And I repeat, they've done some good things to rebuild in the minor league system, which had to be done. But they're still so far away from this that I just don't know when it's going to come back. And that's, that's a discouraging thought, especially when you've, you know, you've been an Oriole fan, as so many people have, for so long. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this. Earlier in the week, Miguel Cabrera hit his 500th home run. He is only like 40-something hits shy of 3,000. 
503,000 are magic numbers in the history of baseball for hitters, as 300 is a magic number for pitchers, and none of us think 300 will ever be approached again for starting pitchers. What are your thoughts on 503,000 in terms of the viability of getting there? Well, it's remarkable, of course. 28 guys have hit 500 home runs in their career, and we've had over 20,000 players play in the major leagues. So figure out those odds. No one has ever had hit his 500th homer and got his 3,000th hit in the same season. I don't think Cabrera's going to get there, but it's going to be close. Bottom line is this. He's one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. He is one of the greatest hitters of this generation. Five players in the history of baseball have 500 homers and a 310 batting average. Cabrera's one of them. Five players in history have 500 homers and have won two batting titles or more. Cabrera is one of them. Here's how good he is, Tony. Jim Leland told me once when he was managing the Tigers that just messing around at BP, Cabrera hit a homer down the left field line. Then the next pitch left center, next center, next right center, next down the right field line. Just messing around (laughs) in batting practice. And Leland goes, I've never seen anything like that. Nobody can do anything like that. Which is why Max Scherzer told me several years ago, Max was, of course, his teammate in Detroit. Yeah, in Detroit. He He said, Miguel Cabrera is the greatest hitter ever to walk this earth. That's how he described him. And I wouldn't say that, but I'll tell you what, that guy was incredible. Walk-off homer in his first Major League game, and in 2003, he hit cleanup in a World Series game at age 20. The only other player who had ever done that was Ty Cobb, and now Juan Soto has done it. So it just shows you Cabrera was great when he got here, and he's pretty much been great all along. He's been over 329 times in his career, and, and I will say this and let Tim amplify it. He is a slow right-handed hitter. He has never legged out a hit in his life. This is not like Mickey Mantle, who's a lefty and can go down the line. He's lost all of those sorts of hits. Now he's a little bit lucky that they didn't do a lot of shifting you know, when in his first 10 or 12 years. But it, to have that kind of batting average, Tim, and to never, ever leg out a hit, is, is, it's really impressive. Yeah, I did a game maybe five years ago. The Yankees ran a shift on him, put three guys on the left side of the infield. And he hit a ground ball right where the second baseman is supposed to be. And he just (laughs) laughed all the way to first base. Like, do you really think that I'm incapable of hitting a ground ball at the second baseman whenever I want? And in that same game, the same game, the Yankees had an at-bat where they were not going to pitch to Cabrera. There was no reason to pitch to him. So I watched him, Tony. He intentionally got behind 0-2 in the count. He deeped them into thinking, well, maybe we can get him out now. We got him down 0-2. And then he rifled the next pitch up the middle for a, you know, a bullet single. And I just said, look, he's just toying with guys on the other team. That's how good that guy is. That's great to hear. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Okay, Tony. See ya. Tim Kirchin. Love having him on. We will take a break. Uh, we will return with email. email and jingle. Yeah, I want to get the order of the show right. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the solo stove ad. Michael, explain what the solo stove is going to mean for my life coming up. 
for your life coming up? Yes. Well, imagine this beautiful fall afternoons at Michael and Liz's new house where you will still be uninvited. <laughs> and you can just imagine <laughs> these picture-perfect afternoons where we light the solo stuff with just a, a, just a bit of starter, and we enjoy those near-smokeless, just campfires and you're gonna have a good time and i'm gonna be just sitting here envious Nigel, totally what do you envious. do in the second week of september oh that sounds lovely yeah. yes there's something that feels magical about <laughs> summer nights and early fall nights and maybe it's those gentle breezes symphonies of animals and insects or the warming glow of a campfire day or night a smokeless fire pit from solo stove turns magical summer moments into unforgettable memories no one forgets their time at summer camp. God knows I don't. Neither does Larry. <laughs> friendships, activities, and most importantly, s'mores. That's not mostly important. But cleaning up the campfire was messy. Yes. Leaving behind charred and crumbling debris. Yes. And that's why I left. I left <laughs> after dinner and I went back to the bunk to sleep and let the kids clean it up. I used to love splitting logs for those fires. With a solo stove, smokeless fire pit, you can experience all the joys of gathering around a fire without the messy cleanup. Solo Stove creates story-worthy moments without the fireside fumes. Stainless steel construction designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. So little smoke, you'll wonder how there's so much fire. It's easy to keep lit, even easier to clean. Here's the deal. Saliz has got this, and he loves it. Michael has seen it in action and loves it. You know, what happened to me? What happened to me? <laughs> Solo Stove fire pits are portable, I'm told, and built to last. Easy to light with a few bits of starter. Your fire is blazing in minutes. They're so confident you'll love it. They offer a lifetime warranty and a 30-day free return policy. No one needs a reason to gather around the fire. Solo Stove just took away any reason not to. And now you can get $10 off when you use the promo code TONYK at checkout. Go to solostove.com, S-O-L-O-S-T-O-V-E, Solo Stove, two words. And remember, you get $10 off when you use the promo code TONYK. So use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Baby. As Carl and Oswego would say, don't break up. <laughs> don't break up, hot pink hangover. Nigel, why don't you do the Bethesda Bagels? Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. That's about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say in the words of Bobby Dylan, everybody's building ships and boats. Some are building monuments, others jotting down notes. Everybody's in despair, every girl and boy. But when Quinn the Eskimo gets here, everybody's going to jump for joy. Come on with that. Come on with it. Thanks to our guest today, Peter King. You can listen to the Peter King podcast and all the usual podcast locations and Tim Kirchin. I said this in the break. It's as good a show as we've ever done. We got real people to talk about their lives and their feelings. It's just wonderful. Thanks to today's sponsors as well. Stamps.com, X-Chair, Solo Stove. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Dr. Porthouse, I'm a little late coming into this discussion. And with all due respect to the Rondas, Jeremiah's, Jesse's, and Butts, let me ask any of these people if anyone ever had trouble actually pronouncing your name. I mean, yeah, I guess it's tough. If a couple of weeks, a couple of times a week, someone cracks a joke about Frank the Tank or Ritz crackers. But how about having to teach people how to say your name every time you meet someone new, always and for your entire life? 
I was blessed with a name so obscure that the only chance of getting it right the first time means you're either an English major or from the British Isles. Cuthbert is a name so strange that mispronunciations often include new letters added in. I say, hi, I'm Cuthbert. What do I get back? Couthbert, Cuthbert, <laughs> Colbert, Colbert. And I always have to smile and say, no, it's Cuthbert, but most people call me Cuth. Their reply, sounds good, Cuth. <laughs> how bad does it get? My friends in college made a habit of seeing how someone would mispronounce my name, then making a point of calling me by the mispronunciation whenever the person was around, so as to further ingrain in the person's mind the wrong version of my name. So that every Jack and Diane or mother of Stacy, let me just say that after some well-intentioned ribbing, you can get back to being a real person. Meanwhile, I get to use fake names like Conrad or Thomas when ordering takeout. I learned long ago, when you strike up a conversation on the street or in a bar with someone you will clearly never see again, it's always easier to give a fake name everyone already knows than a real name that requires an explanation and an education and elocution. The culmination of this was when my wife and I were discussing potential names for our non-masculine child. I had suggested some of the more esoteric family names. My wife's reply was, yeah, but then she'll spend her entire life having to explain her name to people. Yeah, I said, wouldn't that be awful? <laughs> Cuthbert Hutton, St. Petersburg, Florida. From Brian in Albuquerque, New Mexico. As, a list, as, as the list of oft-mocked names grow, um, names grows, the list grows, I'm sorry, it came to mind that my experience might be particularly attuned to your proclivities. For you see, my name is Brian Wilson. And in addition to the longevity of the man himself, a bump from a mid-90s bare-naked ladies song buried it into the minds of a new generation. It's amazing how many people tell me they love my music. And although many might have half of that story, also sharing a name with the Beach Boys legend. Mine veers into the Mr. Tony wheelhouse. For my mother was a Rolling Stones fan, and I was named after the late troubled heartthrob, Brian Jones. <laughs> Brian Jones becomes Brian Wilson in Albuquerque, New Mexico. From Bill Isaacson, the Tony, the problem with your postponing the wedding party advice is it did not cover my issue. Here's my issue. The other thing that young adults do after finishing school is take off for foreign countries before taking a full-time job. So what do you do when your oldest son, who never asked to see you, says, I'm going to Europe. Why don't you meet me somewhere? <laughs> Whatever your answer is to this question, it is too late. In the meantime, let me answer some of your questions. An eight-room hotel in the ruins of what is left of a fourth-century Roman despot's palace in Croatia does not have a heated toilet, but the air conditioning works. The people of Croatia are wearing masks inside but only dine outside anyway. The major sporting event on an August weekend in split Croatia was the Plasma Youth Sports Games. Does everybody have plasma there? But they also had cage ball, which is popular. The driver firmly told us that Luka Doncic is Croatian, despite the fact that I just watched him play in the Slovenian Olympic team. <laughs> Feeling uncertain about what I was getting into, I just nodded. Despite all the cheap American junk for sale here, I've seen no evidence of chatter memorabilia on the streets or in the markets of split Croatia, which used to be split Yugoslavia, I believe. Bill Isaacson currently in split Croatia. P.S. Addendum. The day after I wrote the above email, we had lunch in a nearby very small town on the Adriatic Sea named Scradden. As we were leaving town after lunch, our driver told us that Michael Jordan's yacht had just pulled up to the dock. It turns out that Jordan and his yacht were in split the night before as we were having dinner. So either Michael Jordan is following us until we find a hotel with heated toilets, or he's hanging out with Tony Kukoc, who is from split. From Adam, thank you, Bill. From Adam McCaslin in Mattoon, Illinois, I had a strange David Aldridge moment listening to the mailbag on Monday when it was mentioned that a couple got married on May 23rd, 2020, and I said to myself, hey, I know that date. 
That was when I got married. I was in a long distance relationship and got engaged on Thanksgiving. When the pandemic hit, we had to consider what to do about our wedding. At the time, she was teaching and she'd planned to get married and move to Illinois to live with me after the school year was over. Since she was basically going to be out of a job at that point, we decided to go ahead and have a small ceremony with our immediate family. And I add parenthetically, which I endorse so she could move up here and find a new job. We had a bigger outdoor ceremony on September 26 when started, things started opening back up. She was happy because she got to wear her wedding dress again, and I was happy because now I can make the lame joke that I got married twice in one year, both times, to the same woman. From Stan Longhofer in Wichita, Kansas. My 26-year-old daughter has wanted to get married for years. After hearing your podcast from last Tuesday, she decided to follow your advice and just do it. Unfortunately, she still doesn't have a groom. She's open to an arranged marriage, however, and she's great with toddlers. Please ask Michael if Bootsy and the Hammer are still unbetrothed. We also appreciate your generous offer to host the wedding at your house. If this works for you, we'll be here Saturday morning. Bootsy's currently a dog from the Paw Patrol. He's all of them combined, so not ready for marriage. Steve is sick of fan. You'll no doubt talk about the death of the great Charlie Watts. So when he wrote this, I was about to do that. Here's a couple of fantastic quotes from the New York Times article on his passing. His comment on his drumming. I've always had this illusion of being in the Blue Note or Birdland with Charlie Parker in front of me. It didn't sound like that, but that was the illusion I had. Even better, he was talking about the time in 1984. This is a story we told in Amsterdam when Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, after a night of drinking, returned to their hotel room. Um, about 5 a.m. Jagger called Watts, waking him up and asked, where's my drummer? Watts went to Jagger's room, said, never call me your drummer again, and hit Jagger with a right hand that nearly knocked him into a canal. Watts said later, it's not something I'm proud of doing, and if I hadn't been drinking, I never would have done it. The bottom line is, don't annoy me. That's not a bad epitaph, Steve the Sycophant writes. And Rod Morrow from Ames, Iowa. I listened to your tribute to John to Don Everly. On Monday's pod, the Everly Brothers have connections in my home state of Iowa. It was on KIMT Radio in Shenandoah, Iowa, and later KWLO Radio in my hometown of Waterloo, Iowa, that the brothers would start performing on their father's radio show. My late mother would tell stories about listening to Little Donnie and Baby Boy Phil on the radio until the family left for Chicago where their father got a show there. They were great, and thanks for bringing back some good memories. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. What a waste of time. God. Pour a little Jack in your black coffee and wash your troubles down. But 
Whiskey's not the cure for every ailment that may come. When that's the case, that little extra something can be rum. I like it sweet. At Amaretto. How about Grandma? Cafe Coretto. Irish coffee. Jameson's rockin'. Hot white Russian. Now you're talking. Stir tequila in your cup of joe. Sit down and have some caviar with me. Watch my 